0: Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. This week, we're debuting a brand new three-part podcast series with Quentin Tarantino and Amy Nicholson called Quentin Tarantino's Feature Presentation. Here's a quick trailer with more info. If you go to Quentin Tarantino's New Beverly Cinema in Los Angeles, you're going to hear that feature presentation song. And when the movie starts, you're going to step in to Quentin Tarantino's brain. If
1: you own a movie, you own a print of a film, it feels like it's your movie. Consequently, it's like if people really like the movie and they go, wow, that movie was terrific. You know, my response was, oh, thank you very much. And I was like I, I took credit for it because, well, it was my print. So and, and, I, and I put the whole thing together to show it. So I, I actually felt like they were complimenting me.
0: This is Quentin Tarantino's Feature Presentation, a new three-part podcast miniseries hosted by me, film critic Amy Nicholson of Unspooled and Halloween Unmasked. Before the release of his new film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin and I sat down to talk about five films that he's programmed at the New Beverly, and we wound up talking about his life, his work, and how this movie-crazy kid became a director who defined a generation.
1: Waiting for the lights to go down, and no one knows what to expect. Is this going to be one of those special times? Is it not going to be one of those special times? Is it going to be a forgettable time?
0: The first episode of Quentin Tarantino's feature presentation is out later this week. It is the closest thing to sharing a bucket of popcorn with the man himself. So subscribe now wherever you hear podcasts.
1: Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Robert Mayes, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, buddy?
2: I found a parking lot to record this in, and I feel a lot better than I did before I found a parking lot to record
1: this in. You are in that version of your life right now. I don't get there for another couple days. I am still at home. You're welcome I, my, to join
2: me in this Wendy's parking lot somewhere in Southern Ohio.
0: Plenty I, I of room am here.
1: I am good. I will be picking up my rental car at 7 in the morning on Friday, and I will be driving that wonderful drive to Green Bay, Wisconsin. And then I will be on the road from there. I'll be doing the Midwest swing. So uh, later in the show, you're going to chat with Brian Westbrook. You talked to him earlier today just about the state of the running back position, the modern running back, everything else. That's going to be great. But we're on the eve of training camp here. And I feel like we should talk about the biggest remaining questions we have as the season's really about to get going. Some are going to be team-specific. Some are going to be a little more wide-ranging. So I'm going to start it off here because my first one is related to some news from today. Mike Daniels, released from the Packers. We're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, so a surprise move, but not that shocking. When you consider his age, the fact that he was a little banged up last year, set to make $9 million against the cap. Yeah. They spent a lot of money. I wrote about players that could be traded a couple of weeks ago, and I almost put him on there, and I just felt like he was so linked with who they have been for so long. I was like, no, they're not going to trade Mike Daniels and just – you know, ship him off in a contract year, and they're not, they're not going to do him like that. And then they did it worse. <laughs> I guess being cut is better than being well. They traded.
2: tried. They, the, the report is they tried to trade him. The, yes. the the beat the beat writers, some of the Packers beat writers are reporting this. That basically, the the Packers saw him as a situational pass rusher who was making upwards of 10 million dollars a year. And that's yes. that's how you get cut. I really really like Mike Daniels. He's going to help a team. He's going to be one of these guys who goes to a contender and we're going to wonder why the Packers let him go. There's under it, it, it's the kind of thing where it, it's the two things are simultaneously true. Number 1, yes. he still got it. Number 2, the Packers aren't totally off base letting him go.
1: I'm with you. I felt like you know the, the pass rushers in Kansas City were a little bit like that, whether it was D. Ford or Justin mm. Houston. I mean, it's surprising moves, but ones you can understand as you consider the context. So my question, as it relates to Mike Daniels and kind of the rest of the league, mm. which team that is close is going to add that one piece that puts them over? And that could be something like Mike Daniels, where he gets cut and you pick him up as a free agent. That could be a trade. You know, I'm John Dorsey,
2: of, by the way, John Dorsey was in Green Bay when he was drafted.
1: That's that's a team that absolutely could use him. They wanted Gerald McCoy the, the moves I'm thinking of here are kind of stuff like the Ronald Darby trade, you know, a couple of years ago, or what happened with Dante Fowler in the middle of the season, but similar where you have these teams that have one specific hole and they're like, all right, we need this guy. We need this guy for it all to come together.
2: Another example, strangely, even though we didn't really think it was a big deal at the time last year was the Eli Apple trade.
1: Yeah, that's another great example. Yes, so and those are midseason deals, but I think that this is the same kind of conversation. Teams have a very good understanding of their roster by the end of training camp. Who are we going to see on the move? The one thing that keeps coming back to me, and again, it sucks so bad they don't have a general manager. Is why aren't this the could Texans be one of two teams? For Trent Williams. Now, oh, come on!
2: I it's because they don't have a general manager.
1: I, I just that it makes so much sense. You have a team that. We'll never admit they're rebuilding because the Vic- or the Redskins, are never rebuilding. But it's a team that cannot do anything this year. You know, you have either Case Keenum or Dwayne Haskins. It's a roster that is in such no man's land. You know, Trent Williams is only five million dollars. Has only a one point nine million dollars in dead cap after this season. He's set to make fourteen point eight million. I'm sure he wants a new deal. The Texans can probably negotiate that cap number down. They have the second most cap space in the league after the Colts you know the Colts are a Mike Daniels team possibly this is the advantage kevin of having flexibility financially even after you build your roster at this point in the year because if one of these guys comes available you can pounce on him
2: yeah it reminds me i mean i'm not saying that the the Colts couldn't have spent more money or whatever but the Colts had second most or most cap space this year and i Both of us, at least me, made the argument they should go out and and get some short-term guys, but they've got so much cap flexibility that if it's week three and they want to add a guy, they can. And I think that that's that's exactly what we talk about when you, you, I think people overlook um, cap space going into the season because it can be used as a very, very, very valuable property.
1: Is there anybody that you would want to see on the move and a team that you think is one or two moves away from really helping themselves?
2: Oh, geez. I mean, I I think I still need Cleveland to get as good as possible. I understand that they have a what looks to be honest, you know, a couple people have said this. I mean, it looks like there's not a lot of holes in that roster with the exception of maybe offensive line. And I understand that maybe there's not a real guy out there to address that right now. But I, I don't know. I mean, it's again, so many of these, I didn't think the Dante Fowler trade was going to work out. I didn't think the Eli Apple trade was going to work out. It's not necessarily about taking those big swings. It's more about finding the one guy who fits your scheme to complete it in a way that no one really sees coming. I think the best sort of uh, August, September, October moves have been under the radar the last couple of years.
1: I've written about a couple of these guys. I think that in- some of them are more realistic than others. You know, Yannick Ngakwe is holding out. I think it's going to take yeah. a lot to get him, and as it should. I mean, he's going to be a twenty million dollar pass rusher. I mean, his when his agent goes to the table, that conversation is going to start with the Demarcus Lawrence money, and the Jaguars may not want to give him that. Consider the things that they've invested in that area. They drafted drafted Josh Allen this year in the first round, and there may be a team that thinks they can pry him away. That one's a little bit more unrealistic. The one guy I keep coming back to. And you talk about the Browns and offensive linemen and how they rarely become available in the market, and they don't because it, they're so hard to come by. What about Vitae, though? Mm. Because if you're the Eagles, I can understand you really caring about offensive lines up when Jason Peters is there, but you have Andre Dillard now. So you have two backup tackles on your team that could be considered possible starters. Maybe they don't think he's ready. Maybe this is an insurance policy. But if I'm a team that doesn't like its offensive line either depth or just starting pair, I'm definitely making a phone call.
2: Hey, are there guys in your opinion who are bigger names that you'd think about trading? I mean, you look at a guy, I'm not saying you should. I would try to keep him. But just from, from what's happening, you see Jalen Ramsey show up. Did you see the Brinks truck gimmick? Did I did see the week? Brinks truck, yes. Okay, so... How do you, you feel know, about this? I thought it was a good... Gimmick, generally, it's a, it's a good I'm, bit. I'm, I'm pro good gimmick. Bit. I'm pro bit in that situation. Um, remember Antonio Brown trip up on a Rolls Royce last year, two years ago, whatever it is. I'm, I am generally in favor of bits. I saw a uh, former UFC fighter, Brandon Schaub, now a stand up comedian, was kind of roasting him for struggling with the doors on the <laughs> Brinks truck. Um, which you gotta, here's the thing if you're gonna do that bit, you've got to have it all mapped out. You've got to have it all mapped out. So, um, I thought it was okay, but let's flip this on its head a little bit. Is there a guy going into contract negotiations where you'd say, okay, maybe that team it makes more sense to get a really high pick or good value in return rather than pay him? Is there somebody like a Zeke Elliott, a Melvin Gordon, a Jalen Ramsey, where if you're the team, you start thinking about it?
1: I think with Jalen Ramsey, I would pay him. You know, we've yeah, talked about I, I the, agree. the danger I agree. of paying singular defensive players. But I think that you've seen what Stefan Gilmore can do for the Patriots. That's still, to me, a very valuable part of building a championship team. Because if Agreed. coverage really is something that we're starting to value more and more when it, compared to the pass rush, it's hard to predict individual cornerback production from season to season. It's not hard to predict really great corners being great. And he's one of those guys. The guy I keep coming back to is A.J. Green. Because yeah. if you're the Bengals and you look at your three-year outlook here.
2: Tyler Boyd under contract.
1: Tyler Boyd is under contract. He's a nice piece. They would have a hole there, obviously. But what are the Bengals going to do this year? The Bengals season, I think, is pretty much over. To lose your left tackle. What, what, fan, what? <laughs> okay, go ahead. The left side no, of the offensive I, line I, I, is I, already I don't gone. disagree. It's. I mean, they could be fine. I think that Dalton was quietly pretty good last year when his weapons were healthy. You know, I really like what they could be as a passing game, and when it comes to mixing Tyler Boyd, AJ Green, if Tyler Eifert can give them anything, you know, the way they looked against Atlanta when all those guys were playing, it was like shit, man. I know Atlanta's defense sucked, but those guys could really sling it when everyone was around. But we've seen what Dalton needs as far as infrastructure. He's such a perfect control group as in for quarterback experimentation because Mm -hmm. as soon as you start affecting the ancillary pieces of what that team is he starts to struggle a little bit more and Mm -hmm. going into a season when you lose Jonah Williams even if you didn't think Clint Bowling was going to play this still means you're moving Cordy Glenn back out to left tackle and getting worse at two positions it's a huge problem and I just think that if you're being honest with yourselves if you're Bengals management I feel like you should look at what you're going to be this year? What you're going to be over the next three years? The fact that AJ Green is 30, and I really think a team would give up like a first-round pick for him. Who is it? I mean, I said the Saints before. I, I don't. That, that's the team that is the most fun. But it, to me, he's the type of player. No, isn't the that team that's most fun the than
2: New England Patriots?
1: Oh man, I like the Saints yeah, I feel better. Like, just because I hate okay. giving the Patriots all the players.
2: Well doesn't matter because we're in the Super Bowl. So (sighs) Tough scene. I know.
1: I know. All right. What's your first question, buddy?
2: Minnesota. Is there a Kubiak effect? And does the play action, the potential overhaul of an offense there, get them to where they
1: need to be? I
3: want to talk about about play action.
2: I want to talk about play action because I know I I love you and I want you to talk about play
1: action as well. I'm writing about this fairly soon. I went to Minnesota in June. Surprise. I went to Minnesota in June to talk to Kirk Cousins and Kubiak and everybody about what they're doing. That's gonna that'll run later this off season. Okay, you know, I don't mind saying or later this training camp. I don't mind saying that.
2: Uh, oh, I, he, oh he's, you, you, you. were gonna try to keep it a secret that you're gonna write about play action.
1: <laughs> he uh he said a lot of fascinating stuff, and I think who, that who, who, uh,
2: Cousins or Kubiak Cousins
1: did Cousins yeah, okay. did stuff that it was surprising to me. The stuff that Stefanski told me and the Kubiak did was not necessarily surprising. One thing that Stefanski said that I thought was was pretty interesting is that he doesn't really come from a background offensively. You know, He's somebody that has been with the Vikings forever, and they've changed offensive schemes. Mm. And in the back of his mind, he's always thought, if I got the shot to do this, this Gary Kubiak scheme is what I would want to run. This, to me, is what the most effective version of football is. I think when you combine that, the fact that Kubiak is there, and the fact that this is where Cousins succeeds. This is the perfect version of an offense to allow him to be the best version of himself. I'm confident that it is going to work. And I think that if it does work, that defense is still going to be pretty good. Like their Super Bowl odds. I wrote about this today, just kind of a few teams I thought are kind of hiding in plain sight as contenders. And I just don't understand how the Vikings are 25 to one. I I really think that they're going to be better than people think. I mean, this is a team that they had 20 takeaways last year, they were 18th, and they had the fourth best offense or defense in the league. I just feel like there are so many things pointing to them improving, and the offensive line health is a big part of that. But I think there will be an effect. I honestly do.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, like, I picked them. I think I picked them to get to the Super Bowl last year. I don't. Last year it seems like twenty years ago, but I think that's what I did. And I still believe in their talent. I still feel like they have a good front office, good coaching staff, all that. I just think there were a couple of things needed to be improved upon. I still believe in Kirk Cousins as a quarterback. I don't think he's Aaron Rodgers, but he's not Andy Dalton either. And I just, I, I think there are, you know, I think the quotes coming from there over the summer, um, I'm sure you saw them, Robert, about, you know, Kirk Cousins basically saying he's looked at the numbers and there isn't a limit on how much you can run play action.
1: And I have more of those. I have more no, of those coming. I, he, I, he said again, the same thing to me. So
2: yeah, he told the Vikings website that and, and congratulations on Kirk Cousins for just reading NFL Twitter for the past two years. <laughs> um, it's, it's great to have you, Kirk. And so I, I think that there are, the NFC North and and one of the reasons I wanted to bring up the Vikings is the NFC North is so fascinating to me, and I know it's fascinating to you because your favorite team is there. But I feel like the ceiling on all of those teams, and even I think the Lions. I saw a projection the other day that said the Lions are going to be three and thirteen.
1: That's I mean, nuts ma- to me.
2: But I, yeah, I, I just I think there's a little more talent there than people think. I'm not saying they're going to go ten and six here. I'm just saying that the 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 ceilings for all of the NFC North teams. Are absolutely fascinating. I think there's three teams there that can be true NFC contenders. And then I think the Lions are okay. So, and, and, and by the way, with Green Bay, you, know, you lose Mike Daniels, all that stuff. The only reason I say they're a contender is it's what we've talked about, you know, what I used to talk about with the Saints, which is when you have a great quarterback, you're always a contender. And it only takes a couple of things to go right for you.
1: So, I, I want that kind of leads into my next question. What I want to say about the Lions and the other three teams, I feel like what the Lions have done this offseason, Makes them Mm. an eight and eight team, but I don't think it allows them to be more than like an eight and eight team. I think their floor has gotten much higher, but I also think their ceiling is defined both by the moves they've made and by the way they're approaching their team.
2: I just think when you're the fourth best team in a division, there's a cap on how many games you can win because you play a bunch of good teams.
1: Sure. I just mean kind of when I say eight and eight, I don't necessarily mean how many games you win in actuality. I mean, like what you're kind of you're, where you stand among the rest of the league, no matter what, what just happened? You Did in. you
2: just go post win on
1: us. Are it's we more, It's more about like you're an eight and eight team, no matter where you would play. I understand that what, there's it, an actual okay. cap, but I just think and so that you're a saying eight and eight, team.
2: being an eight and eight team is a mindset, not
1: a record. I think it's a ceiling. It, it's just I, I mean that more as a theoretical a way than what their record vibe. is going to be. Uh, So getting into that when you're talking about Rodgers and and comparing the Saints situation possibly to the Packers, one of my big questions is, which of these teams is going to thread the draft needle like the Saints have in recent years? Which of these teams is going to have that class that needs it desperately? I wrote about the Falcons this week and just about how now their window isn't necessarily closing, but the degree of difficulty gets higher when you start paying everyone. So now having guys like... Chris Lindstrom, and McGarry hit in year one, if that offensive line can be a strength now rather than a weakness, which team is going to do that? Now that Green Bay has lost Mike Daniels, is Rashawn Gary come, going to come in and be an impact player right away? The team that has the quarterback, who is going to have that class or that player, that fourth-round running back that is great? you know Is that Justice Hill? Stuff like that. I'm really curious who's going to have I that Justice group of rookies. I, I think so, too. I, I feel like yeah. he's going to be have a really he's going to have a bigger impact on that team than most people will leave because I think that so, it's wide open outside of Mark Ingram and they're going to run the ball. I was ton. just,
2: I was just in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, flowery branch, Georgia. Well, about an hour North. Here, here's a, uh, here's a myth. The Atlanta Falcons practice anywhere near Atlanta, Georgia.
1: Uh, yes, not correct. It's definitely the okay. furthest. It's the furthest one now, right? From
2: the city center.
1: Yeah. Uh, or like the stadium. I'd, I'd I think it to, is. I'd have
2: to think about, it. I mean, the Rams are pretty far away. The Rams are in Westlake village.
1: Yeah, that's pretty far. I I think as the crow flies, the Falcons are the furthest.
2: Yeah. Okay, so I was just there and I was talking to Thomas Mitrov. We were talking about that rookie class. And, you know, I think that that's a great team to bring up because they are, like the Saints, a team that went out and identified exactly what they needed to do To you know, first of all, first and foremost, the number one thing the Falcons needed to address was health. Because you lose the the backbone of your defense like that so quickly in the season, and things are going to get away from you. The offensive efficiency was awesome last year. Matt Ryan was awesome. They needed was good for three quarters of the year. They needed line help and they needed health. That's it. And they went out and they got those guys. And so I think that that that's a great. The Falcons are a great, great candidate for did they solve their problems with the draft? And I think that again. They are the type of team we, we, we have not done this exercise. I think we should do this exercise. How many teams win the Super Bowl? The Atlanta Falcons are one of them. I would say there's probably 15 or 16 of those teams, um, but I would put the Atlanta Falcons in those 16.
1: Another team that I would throw out there with having this conversation is Houston. I wrote about them today. Hey, can, they, the, can, they, can the Houston Texans win the Super Bowl? They're 40 to one, and that's nuts to me. That's too high when Deshaun Watson is your quarterback. I don't think – we are not talking enough about Deshaun Watson now because of what happened with Patrick Mahomes. Deshaun Watson ranks third all-time over your first two seasons for quarterbacks that have at least 20 starts, so Mahomes out of the conversation, uh-huh. in yards per attempt, adjusted yards per attempt, yards per game, and uh, touchdown percentage. He's It was Dan Marino, Ben Roethlisberger, and Deshaun Watson. He was excellent last year. He was just as good in every single way except throwing touchdown passes. And that was always going to come back to earth. When you look at that team with Hopkins, if Fuller can stay healthy, Kiki Kuti was really good last year. If they can have two guys from that class, if Sharping and Howard can come in and start and help solidify that group, why can't the Texans win 12 games? Hmm. Yeah,
2: I I'm I mean they made the playoffs last year.
1: Their defense has some moving pieces. You know, they lost Tyron Matthew, you know, they lose Kareem Jackson, but they brought in Bradley Roby, they brought in Tayshawn Gibson. You could argue both of those guys are somewhat of a downgrade, but is it that much of a difference to say that their defense is going to be actively bad? They were a top ten defense by every metric.
2: Yeah, I look, I mean, I so you're saying that they're in your group of teams that win the Super Bowl. Yes. Has a team with, with they the just just announced they're not hiring a GM ever won the Super Bowl?
1: That is my concern. Is that th- it's such a team that could use one or two quiet pieces, quiet moves to solidify the margins of their roster, and they have no one in charge of handling the margins of their. I've roster. I've gone
2: back and forth on whether or not not having a GM is a big deal. Because I think it is. Yeah, I think it is too, and I just think that it's it's like what we talked about. You have to have a guy who's constantly thinking about the team. As just from a roster construction standpoint,
1: and it's, the 50 second guy, you need a guy that's constantly guy, thinking about the 50 second guy.
2: The one thing I've learned about football, and Lord knows I don't know much about football, but the one thing I have learned is that you win on the little edges, right? And yep. the Patriots understand this. You win. The Patriots are really good because they have Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, but they win Super Bowls because they have guys, and I'm not saying they won the Super Bowl because of these people um, specifically, but because they get a Kyle Van Noy off the scrap heap. Uh, Rob Ninkovich just joined ESPN the other day. They got him off the scrap heap. I covered Rob Ninkovich when I was in college, and he was on the Dolphins, and nobody cared about Rob Ninkovich. Bill Belichick turned Rob Ninkovich into a really, really good... Is is Ninkovich going to make the Patriots Hall of Fame?
1: I don't know how many guys can they possibly put in I, it at this I mean, point? Who knows?
2: I saw the Packers <laughs> hall of fame recently. Like a list of that. There's a lot of people in that damn in that, in that damn hall of fame. Um, anyway, what, that's,
1: all right, what's your I, next one, bud?
2: Oh, sorry. I'm just saying that, that you need, it's funny. I use the Patriots as an example, but obviously they have Nick Casario who's, who's constantly on the personnel side. As long as the Texans can have someone who is monitoring the roster, who understands how to get these guys and find value for this year I feel like they'll be able to maximize their season, but I just I, I worry that that's not going to happen.
1: I am with you. I, I, I'm concerned about it, and I think it's a bummer because I think they're leaving one of Deshaun Watson's cheap years on the table, and that sucks because he's been phenomenal for them. All right, what's your next one?
2: Ooh, my next one is how good the Cleveland Browns can be.
1: Yep. That's a, it's, it's definitely one of the bigger ones.
2: <laughs> I'm going to training camp tomorrow as they open, hoping to talk to some folks there as you usually do. And again, it gets to, I, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated in in this sort of era of the CBA, we're, we're getting towards the end of it, where how quickly a team can go from bad to great. I We know now, we have enough evidence to know how quickly it takes. It takes about two years to go from good to great or a year and a half, whatever. But from legitimately bad to legitimately awesome, how how quickly that can happen, and typically it's it's revolved around a rookie quarterback or a young quarterback at least. Um, you know, you look at a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, who were legitimate contenders. Well, they were really good under Alex Smith. They just got yes. you know a better quarterback, and they went from good to great.
1: The so Rams are the better I, example.
2: the The Rams are a great example, but it took them two years. I mean, they they lost their first playoff game um, in the golf era. They didn't. They weren't ready to win the Super Bowl their first year. So my my I guess my question is, is the last half of last year when Freddie Kitchens ran one of the most efficient offenses, really, you know, over those couple of weeks, he ran one of the most efficient offenses in NFL history. So you start getting into is that enough of a springboard? to get this team where it needs to be? How does Odell fit into it? Uh, the Todd Munkin thing, we're hearing some interesting reviews of that so far. Uh, Kitchen said he's happy with them. Um, but I, I, you know, there's, there's been reports that it's a little slow in the installation process. So I think that there's so many moving pieces getting into Cleveland right now that how they fit is one of the most fascinating things in the sport.
1: I feel like with the springboard thing, the numbers typically do not bear that out. How you play in the second half of a season is not necessarily an indicator of how you will play the following season. That's correct. And that plays into a lot of the discussions that you and I have had just about how the improvement and development of teams is never linear. You You have to constantly be vigilant about staving off regression, about making sure that you're adding pieces to not necessarily be the same team you were a year earlier. And that's why I feel like even if it's not a springboard from the results we saw from Kitchens and Baker, the pieces they added 100% can springboard them. Even if it wouldn't, if it it wouldn't have happened just by virtue of those two guys, they added Odell Beckham. They did everything they needed to do to make sure that this was going to continue, that trajectory was going to keep going up. And that's why I'm excited to see it. It's about more than just, man, weren't Baker and Freddie Kitchens fun. It's, Really, we did everything we could. We turned over every rock, and we want to make this the year. And I think that's why they're fun. That's why I'm interested in them.
2: Yeah, I mean, it goes back. I've said this a million times. It goes back to something someone in the league told me years ago. I don't even know, four years ago. I don't remember. But he said the number one requirement of winning the Super Bowl is wanting to win the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Teams don't accidentally win the Super Bowl. They plan on it. And you can eliminate, is what this person said to me, you can eliminate basically 12 teams right off the bat because they're either rebuilding or their owner doesn't care about the spending to the cap or if their coach is just playing out the string and wants some money, whatever. You can eliminate a lot of teams just off the bat like that. And then you start looking at teams that are trying to win the Super Bowl. And it looks to me like the Cleveland Browns are one of those. They've got a lot of guys who are young and cheap right now. Miles Garrett is, Lord knows how much he'll be paid um, in a couple of years, but he's cheap right now.
1: Baker, <laughs> the number does not exist yet.
2: The number does we, we not cannot, exist.
1: We, we cannot comprehend it.
2: He's going to spend it all on his dinosaur expeditions. Um, <laughs> he, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, obviously, you can go all in, bring in guys like Odell, even Jarvis Landry, some of the veterans he traded for last year, Olivier Vernon. They have the makings of a roster that is is a Super Bowl-type roster. It's just whether or not all of those things have come together at once. You know, Miles Garrett now gets to be a creative defensive player after basically only getting to do two pass rush moves under Greg Williams. There's so many things that we don't know yet about how the Browns are going to change that we're about to see in the next two months.
1: They're the team I'm most looking forward to, and my next question is about the team that's probably number two, and that is what the hell are the Arizona Cardinals going to look like. I mean, what is this hey, offense?
2: Hey, hey, The Arizona Cardinals are the number two most exciting team for
1: you? Just the team I'm most interested to see. Like, what What are they? What is the offense? Man. Because I just think that if it works, what could it mean? What could it mean for what teams want to do, the types of players they want, the type of schemes they want to run? I think it could be an absolute disaster. I think it could go <laughs> up in flames in a year, easily. Yeah. But if it doesn't, what could it rot? And that is why I'm just interested to see it. What is Kyler Murray? I have no idea if it's going to work, but I want to watch it.
2: Kind of reminds me of a crappier version of the Chip Kelly year where it's just like, I just want to see this in the NFL. The difference being that the Chip Kelly roster, he inherited it from not only Andy Reid, but he still had Howie in the building and it was just a better roster.
1: Oh, I totally agree. There
2: was more, there's more expectations, but they had the Sean McCoy
1: and Sean Jackson. (laughs) Like that was okay. Yeah, it was pretty good. It's pretty good. But pretty like tape, David Johnson good. can play. I like Christian Kirk. I think that their offensive line cannot be worse than it was last year. I just feel like there are enough pieces Larry there Fitz. that they still I, got Larry Fitz. And Larry Fitz is how much does Larry Fitz have left? I don't think they'll be great, but I think that they'll be fun to watch at the very least. And if their offense mm. can put up a ton of yards and a decent amount of points, I just don't know what it's going to mean about how people look at really adopting the air raid full scale. And is that going to be something we see even more of if it works?
2: Yeah. I mean, I I I, to be honest with you, haven't given a lot of thought to the Cardinals this this year. I just I feel like they're gonna be a nice, fun, exactly what you're saying, team to watch. I just don't see them doing a lot of contention. I would actually I I don't either. If you're looking for an NFC West team that I'm excited to see, I'd actually trend more towards the San Francisco 49ers.
1: That was gonna be the next team I was gonna ask you about. Are is this the Niners post hype year?
2: I just talked to Jimmy Garoppolo a couple uh, about a week, two weeks ago. We had a great conversation, talked about a lot of things, and you know there were a lot of things that you know when we were in conversation, we were just you know you don't think about someone like George Kittle um, enough, and I think that George Kittle is is the type of dynamic sort of post Gronk tight end that is going to carry the mantle, and you mix that with the Kyle Shanahan offense that made Nick Mullins just a, a legitimate. NFL starter, and you've got offensive fireworks. Um, Tower Dunn had a good story about just the expectations and the mindset there uh, today on Bleacher Report. I just think that there's... I, I think that the that is one of those teams where I wouldn't be surprised if they won 14 games, and I wouldn't be surprised if they won seven games.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think 14 is a lot just because I think the defense is still well, I
2: understand. I'm just saying there's, an, there's a chance that just everything clicks on offense, and they're just rolling.
1: I feel like that is possible. I still have concerns about Jimmy Garoppolo in that offense, but I think that they, you know, you know how much faith I have in Kyle Shanahan. You know, I think that they have a decent group of pass catchers. I like Dante Pettis. I think Devin Devin Coleman's a good player. Their offensive line is not, it doesn't have any holes. I mean, it's just a good group. So I I think that the pieces are there. They only had two interceptions last year. Like their defense is going to get better just by virtue of luck. One bet that I was looking at, I was looking at kind of the player props earlier this month and then again this week. Jimmy Garoppolo is 50 to one to lead the league in passing yards, which seems too high. Kyler Murray is also 50 to one, which I also think is too high. Like both of their defenses, I don't think are going to be very good. Like why can Jimmy Garoppolo throw for 4,900 yards or 5,200 yards? Why is that not possible?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a great point. I, I just, who uh, Rothsberger led
1: it last year. Yeah. Roethlisberger led it last year. He, he had like 5,100. Hmm. That's a high number, dude. It's a high number, but when your offense is really good and your defense is not going to be very good, that number comes into play. And I think is this going to be your, set, your second be ever,
2: your second ever NFL bet?
1: No, I'm not going to bet it. I just think it's interesting. I'm not going to put no, I'm not putting any money on these. I just like. We to should look do at a yearly
2: maze bet. We should do it. Well, just you bet once, exactly once a year on football.
1: It would have to be like a futures bet, though. That doesn't. No, I, that's I'd what have, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine because I it's I don't want to be like rooting for these things. I feel weird about that. That's ethically not. It's, just, it's a sketchy area.
2: I had a um I I did a pool for the British Open, and we were talking about how once you know we don't bet on football because ethically it's just weird to just you know kind of if you if if we did bet the Jimmy Grapple thing and then didn't come through, we next time I talk to Jimmy Grapple I'd be like, what the hell was that, Jimmy? Um, so it's just better just to not be there. But I did a pool for the British Open. And, um, one particularly, uh, muscled broy golfer, uh, on Sunday faded and cost me a lot of money. And, um, <laughs> if you're looking for why I don't bet on football, it's that. All right. What's your next one? Um, how good the Philadelphia Eagles can be having not only kind of stacked their roster. It, I was, I was fascinated to see. I don't know if you saw this. When Joe Douglas left, he told Albert Breer that one of the reasons he maybe wanted to stay in Philadelphia instead of going to the Jets was um, how stacked that roster is going to be and how good it's going to be even in relation to two years ago. And you start thinking about that plus Wentz's health, and I'm getting some deep playoff run vibes from the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that a Wentz who's paid I think that just the structure of that contract is fascinating to me, but but, but more than anything, I want to see healthy 16 game Carson Wentz. We actually, we're doing a Brian Westbrook interview at the end of this. We talked a lot about that, but I want to see a healthy Carson Wentz being the general for a, a really stacked roster. I'm really intrigued with that in the NFC East race.
1: I'll do my power rankings at the end of the month before the season starts about a month from now. But if I was picking an NFC Super Bowl team right now and possibly a Super Bowl team right now, I am not sure how you wouldn't pick them.
2: I think I'm going Colts-Eagles.
1: I don't mind that at all. The Colts. Is that, it's kind
2: of ringer, that's kind of a ringer NFL show core pick.
1: Yeah, that's true. I, I would say that's true. I, I mean, I like the Colts. I haven't thought as much about the AFC, but just looking at this Eagles team, I feel the same way. I just have a ton of faith in the personnel that they've assembled. You know, the secondary, you know, may have its questions at certain places, but I just think if that group is healthier, that they'll be fine. You know, Ronald Darby is already kind of that's a question, but I, I feel like that team overall is going to be much healthier than it was a year ago. I think they were the second most injured team in the NFL. They still almost went to the NFC Championship game. You get ones back. Everything they've done on offense. To go get Deshaun Jackson and have that be your speed element is just unfair. It's just nonsense. I, I just don't understand how this team added Deshaun Jackson and Malik Jackson in one offseason to the team ahead and Zach Brown. Like who allowed this to happen? My team plays in the NFC and I am not thrilled about this.
2: Yeah, it's uh it's gonna be I think they're gonna be really good, dude. I think they're gonna yeah. be really, really, really good. And I'm, I'm the same way. I I just that NFC East race because the Cowboys stand out to me because they're a team that is going. This is probably going to be the last ride with all of those guys. Um, you know, I you know I know that maybe Byron Jones isn't talked about enough nationally, and she should be. He's a really good cornerback, and I saw a report today that maybe contract negotiations aren't going so well there. Um, you can only feel, pay so many dudes. I mean, you you at, at a certain so point, dudes. the money runs out. And there there's there's just a lot of and I see this a lot with these teams that have four, five, six guys to pay. There's just a lot of a lot more optimism about paying everybody than there should be. I kind of feel totally like everybody agree. always downplays like oh, we're going to get these done. We're going to I'm I'm kind of doing a Jerry Jones pressure, but not really. Um but like <laughs> we're going to get these done. It's going to be fine. So and so's next. All this stuff and it seems like it's you know guaranteed i i i think they're going to have to let some guys go and i think there's a little too much optimism um from Cowboys fans on that so i think that you look at that stacked eagles roster and then kind of a peaking cowboys roster i think that's going to be awesome dude
1: yeah i'm i'm going to love watching those teams play the cowboys my other team with 20 to 1 or higher super bowl odds that i feel like is definitely somebody that can make a run you know they need some a couple breaks here and there. They need the defense to maintain, even though they didn't really add any pieces. You know, uh, what's his name? Robert Quinn doesn't count to me. You know, he's not that much of an improvement over Randy Gregory in my mind. But I still think that with the changes in the offensive staff, everything else, they can kind of stave that off. My last one is uh, well, also,
2: By the way, by the way, Jalen Smith is just getting better every year. Yes, and that, yes. that's that's the amazing part of it. When we say they haven't added a new piece or whatever. The, the, they're getting Jalen Smith better every single year. So you could almost count on yeah. that as the new piece. It's just Jalen Smith times
1: two. He was so good last year, though. I'm yep. not saying that that's something that... I don't know how much better he can be. Maybe it's a he, little bit, but that's not as much of a tangible change as I need. He's of, awesome. But how much better can he be? He's one of the best, like, six off-ball linebackers in the league. You, if well, he's, Unless he's Bobby Wagner this year, that's not that much of a difference compared to what their defense looked like last season. Here he comes. All right, my last one, very quickly. I don't want to project here. I was going to say I feel like people are blank, but I'm just going to say I'm doing it. I think I'm sleeping on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs a little bit. Mm. (laughs) Like, it's one of those things where so much, so many times we've seen just the touchdown regression thing happen, and it just kind of burned into our minds that when you have this historical season, you're likely not going to follow it up with anything overwhelming. Maybe the Chiefs are just that good. Maybe their offense is so dynamic that there's still going to be just far and away the best offense in the league. And that's going to carry them to the postseason and maybe heights. It didn't even last year. I think that's possible. It's not mathematically likely. And so maybe the overall enthusiasm on it is a little bit dampened, but I definitely feel like I'm not thinking about them, talking about them as much as I should be right now.
2: Okay. So here's the way I view the chiefs. And I've been thinking about this a lot. I saw I think James Palmer's in Kansas City. I was watching the NFL Network last night. And I, you know, they they were talking about all those changes. And that's something I've thought about all season. So they go to a four-three now. They bring in Steve Spagnuolo instead of Bob Sutton. They bring in Frank Clark. Um, they bring in, you know, Honey Badger, the whole deal. They they do not get Earl Thomas. But they're almost their defense is almost reminds me of how we view the entire Browns organization, which is there's so many moving parts, and the way the way that they get those to click is so important, but at this point, almost unknowable. Does that make sense?
1: I'm 100% with you. I, I feel the same way. And you look at those on paper, you look at those, and you think that they're going to be good, but you don't know.
2: Right. I feel more comfortable saying, like, the Colts are going to be good because I know what the Colts look like because they didn't do much. They're just getting better on what they were last year. And the, the the Chiefs are changing their defensive system. There's just so much going on there that, of course, they're going to be really good. Of course. I mean, I don't. I think it's going to be like last year where it's the Chargers and the Chiefs for, for the division. But, you know, I, I'm not ready to
1: say they're going to win 15 games. No, I'm not either. And because it's all projection on that defensive side, you don't know. You want to say that all this stuff is going to work. You know, Honey Badger is going to bring whatever this. He's such a leader and the mentality and just the effect of him being in the locker room, all that stuff. I buy into that stuff. I think he will do that. But mm-hmm. there's so many moving parts, and when there are so many moving parts, it's really hard to predict how they're all going to fit together. I'm with you.
2: Agree. Um, all right,
1: bud. I think that's all we got.
2: Wait, we didn't talk about uh, the 2015 quarterbacks slash Taylor Luan.
1: Oh, okay. Very quickly here. Uh, so not even just the 2015 quarterbacks, but Taylor Luan suspended for the first four games of the season. I'm curious what's going to happen to these guys that may be lame ducks. And that right. could be Marcus Mariota. That can be Jameis Winston, it can that, be Andy Dalton, or Derek Carr. If,
2: if you're Marcus Mariota and you keep getting hurt, one thing you don't want is Taylor Lewan gone for four games.
1: That's right. And you don't want to be getting hurt while there's a competent backup behind you now and your team doesn't oh. need to throw you in there. Ryan Tannehill is an NFL quarterback. That is you, more than you can say for what's been behind him recently. Matt Castle?
2: Was behind him a Bat couple Castle, years Castle playing
1: Gabbert. I, I, like, I would rather have Ryan Tannehill even taking into account all of Ryan Tannehill's ills. Zach Mettenberger? Yeah. I, again, still bit? feeling better about Ryan Tannehill.
2: Did you see Luan's, uh, how he announced the whole deal?
1: I have not seen it. I just read a headline about it. So I will go watch it. I heard, yes.
2: Well, yeah, he made a video and then he released the polygraph results. Kind of innovating, innovating the
1: announcement. I'll say that. Lord, we've reached an interesting time in the world. All right, buddy. We sure. I think have. that's all we got. Uh I hope you enjoy your stay in Cleveland. I am definitely going to be excited to get on the road and Brian get Westbrook to be talking is talking to people again. Brian Westbrook is next. Kevin talked to Brian Westbrook about a ton of things, how the current league is working, just the overall state of the position. Uh, and please enjoy Kevin and Brian Westbrook.
2: Joined now by a guy who really foreshadowed how the modern running back plays in the NFL, a former All-Pro Eagles legend, Eagles Hall of Famer, Brian Westbrook. Brian, what's going on?
3: Hey, nothing much. Getting ready and dialed in for this football season. Excited uh, that training camps are finally starting. You're here
2: on behalf of FanDuel. Um, We'll get to that in a minute. I want to first start with the Eagles because I feel like when you look at the NFC East, there's a lot of intrigue there. The Eagles have a pretty stacked roster, um, adding guys like Malik Jackson, Carson Wentz returns to health. You have Dallas in that division. You have a lot of stacked NFC teams who are essentially all in. Where do you see the Eagles, Brian, on the pecking order of NFC contenders?
3: Well, I mean, I think when you bring back a guy like Carson Wentz, when healthy, the MVP candidate, you add Deshaun Jackson and, uh, to a receiving core that, that includes... Uh, Zach Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, in your offensive line, who is veteran, has some uh, some some players that have done well in the NFL for a very long time. Then you throw some youth in there with Miles Sanders, young running back drafted out of Penn State this year and, of course, Jordan Howard coming over from Chicago. And you throw in an old head uh, that I love, Darren Sproles. It's just a great <laughs> opportunity that they have a Youth as well as older guys, veteran leadership on an offense that um, that has been explosive in the past and that if Carson Wentz is healthy, uh, certainly is one of the better offenses in the league. And maybe you look on the defensive side of the ball, you add Malik Jackson to a, a front four that's already pretty good with Fletcher Cox leading the way there. And you look at Derek Barnett coming off the injury, but he, when he went healthy last season, he played very well. And then you look at round at the, the uh, middle linebacker spotting, Malcolm Jenkins and Robbie McLeod in the back end. Um, to me, that is a roster with a bunch of potential, a roster that has the ability to, to play well against any team in the NFL. But just like all 32 teams, um, it's all about potential. Um, at this point, everybody looks good. Everybody, every team thinks they have a really good roster on paper at this point. Um, and the truth really isn't ever, ever known until September, until the games start, until teams come together and play full games, not just the preseason games. And, you know, from that standpoint, the Eagles have a very good team, but that's just on paper at this point.
2: You know, being around Philadelphia a lot and seeing that team, when Wentz is healthy, where do you sort of rank him among NFL quarterbacks? Because there's a lot of intrigue about that. Obviously, he gets paid this year. Really interesting contract. But again, we haven't seen him fully healthy for a number of years. When he is healthy right now, where do you rank him among the the top quarterbacks?
3: Well, he's a top ten quarterback when healthy. I think that, unfortunately, due to his injuries, we haven't seen enough of Carson Wentz. We've seen the things he was able to do a couple years ago, when healthy, um, right before the Super Bowl push, and he was an MVP candidate, a guy that was running the ball well, throwing the ball with accuracy, taking some calculated risk and making big throws. He has that ability. I don't think that changes. I think that now that he has a, a complete offseason of not just rehabbing but uh, making his game better, cultivating his game and enhancing his game, I, I think that makes for a better quarterback. And if he can stay healthy and upright all season long, we're talking about a top you know, a top 10 at the beginning of the season. We're talking about a top five quarterback uh, by the end of the year. And I, I just think that he has that type of talent, that type of mindset and ability. Now it's about staying healthy uh, for him and the Philadelphia
2: Eagles. Brian, when you were starring for the Eagles, I think that the thing that always jumped out to people was your receiving skills. And I think that was a rare thing back then. And now you look at 2019, 2018, and pretty much any star running back has to be able to catch the ball. It's the focal point of the offense. When you look at the running back position now, what's the biggest thing that's changed what jumps out to you about this crop now around the NFL as opposed to when you were playing where that was sort of a rare skill?
3: Well, I think now more than ever, you have running back by committee. You have a, you know two or three different guys that are going to get the touches. I mean, you don't have very many teams that are going to run Offenses similar to Dallas uh, with with uh, Ezekiel Elliott, where you know he's going to get twenty five touches every single game. Even even teams like the Giants, who have a stud running back in Saquon Barkley, they're not giving him twenty five carries a game, but he's catching the ball out of the backfield and things like that as well. And you know that that, that has a lot to do with offenses, that has a lot to do with defenses as well. Um, defenses now they're much more multiple, they're much more nickel oriented, and so when teams are doing that offensively now you're putting out packages, three rides, two tight ends, whatever it is, but really only one running back. And so it's important for your running back to have the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and be able to run just to keep the defenses off balance.
2: Is there a current running back who impresses you most with his receiving skills, just having, you know, obviously an expertise in that, in that area?
3: I mean, I I think the best running back that is receiving out of the backfield is Alvin Kamara in the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what he's able to do, um, as far as catching the ball, I mean, he's able to run routes just like a wide receiver. He's able to, to do things with the ball in his hands after the catch um, that that are absolutely special. And then you put him in the backfield in the running game. He gets to the edge better than anyone else. He has a great, um, quick first step and, and he makes guys look foolish out there. And, and to me, when you watch that, that's what you need and that's what you want in a running back. And so he's kind of the ideal guy, especially when you're catching the ball out of the backfield. But I, I also would put Christian McCaffrey right there. Uh, I know that he's got a little bit bigger and stronger this offseason. Um, I just hope that his, uh, he didn't lose any elusiveness. But, I mean, he still has that same type of ability to get you, you know, seven, eight catches per game and and, and rack up those numbers, 90-plus catches on a season. That's been very impressive.
2: Yeah. Um, obviously, your era of Eagles football is a little bit different than this because you had Andy Reid. Andy Reid is now obviously in charge of the most high-octane offense in football. Are you one of the folks who are just totally unsurprised by the fact that Andy Reid can keep innovating and keep you know dominating offensively in 2019? And what has it been like to see that you know basically a decade after you stopped playing for him? Well,
3: I'm not surprised. I mean, I think yeah. Andy has an innovative offensive mind. And when you combine an innovative offensive mind with a quarterback that has arm talent, um, it's it's hard to keep up with. Um, And we've seen that over the course of um, the last couple of years, especially last year when you had Pat Mahomes just throwing the ball all over the place and getting everyone involved. Then you add in Travis Kelsey, one of the best tight ends in the game, if not the best. Um, And and some exciting players like Tariq Hill. Um, It's a great combination for Andy. I'm super happy for him and proud of what he's able to do. But a big part of that comes with the player that you have. And you add that to the coach with the mindset of trying to make things happen offensively. You
2: know, you hear all the time about Andy's a different guy in private than he is in public. And he's a different guy in the locker room than he is maybe at a press conference. What's your favorite Andy Reid story from all your years playing with him?
3: You know, I, I love Andy. I love him as a coach. I love him as a man. Um, probably the funniest story is when and this is something that I think they played on, you know, on T V a couple of times, when he was in a punt passing kids competition I'm probably <laughs> twelve or thirteen years old and he was yep. probably six four at the time and everybody else was like he looked like a coach in a uniform and uh and everybody else like little kids out there, but that's how big <laughs> he was at the time. So it's always funny to see that and I always make fun like listen, coach, if you're if you're 20, you're supposed to beat these kids that are 10, 11 years old. You're supposed to do that, but um, that—that's probably the funniest thing that I've seen from Andy.
2: Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, you know, Brian, the the last thing I want to touch on is the running back position in general has been devalued. Not in the, you know, obviously everyone knows Saquon Barkley and Alvin Kamara, and these guys are really good players, but they're not getting paid like they used to. Melvin Gordon, it was announced this morning, is holding mm-hmm. out of training camp. Zeke Elliott can't get a deal done as of yet. How if you were running a team, even though you are a former running back, if you were running a team, how would you approach giving these sort of running backs second contracts and paying them kind of what they were paid maybe a generation or two ago?
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the numbers should continue to increase, but I, you know, I think teams have been very strategic in saying if we're going to use a running back by committee, then you know we can't pay one guy. you know, 10, 12, 13 million bucks a year. So we can't pay him a boatload of money. I mean, there's only a few running backs in the game now that probably deserve it. And I think Melvin uh, Gordon is probably one of those guys. His ability to uh, be a force in the run game as well as be a force in the pass game has been uh, one of the best part of his game. And you look at guys like Zeke and um, that offense is basically built around him. It's just crazy Mm -hmm. to me that they wouldn't have signed him up already, but I think teams are always looking at how much tread they have left on the tire. And you know, when a guy has you know 400 carries every year for the last five years, the teams are wondering. You know, we love what he's able to do, but we also wonder how much he has left in the tank. And um, that, that's a that's a tough process to be in if you're a running back because you're saying, "Listen, I'm giving everything to my team, but now I, I want to be rewarded for it." There's a bunch of questions. And that's a bad situation to be in if you're a running back.
2: All right, Brian, you're here on behalf of FanDuel. Tell us what you're doing with them and tell us what they're doing in Pennsylvania.
3: Well, well FanDuel has done a great job and they've partnered with me in, in making sure that um, they they have the best, the easiest, and most convenient sportsbook app um, out there on the market at this point. And so because they're bringing sports betting Especially uh, mobile sports betting um, to Pennsylvania. Um, this is an exciting time, especially here, right here in Philadelphia. So many people in Philly, in particular, but in Pennsylvania, were crossing over the bridge into New Jersey to do their yep. their mobile betting. And to that to that fact that they've spent three billion dollars in New Jersey um, betting on games and things like that. And so now Pennsylvania is has launched um, their their mobile betting and FanDuel in particular has brought their app, which is convenient, easy, easy to manage, easy to, to kind of navigate through the app. And now we have the ability to to, to uh, wager at the game, wager at home, wager at work or wherever you're at, as long as you have your cell phone. And that's just a great opportunity for, for our fans, but for our game and also for FanDuel.
2: Good news for uh, football fans in Pennsylvania. Um, we'll get you out on this. What's your Super Bowl pick this year, Brian?
3: Um, I, I think it's way too early to even consider. A oh, okay. Pick. I mean, if, if I if I had it my way, I would go Kansas City in the Eagles. But I, I think Ooh, there are so many Andy things that. That's right. There are so many things that could happen throughout a season. It's just so hard to tell. I mean, with injuries and teams playing well and home field advantage and things like that, I you know I, it's just hard to tell at this point. But if I had if I had it my way, I would go Kansas City and versus the Eagles, and of course I would have the Eagles winning.
2: (laughs) Perfect. Brian, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you. Take care.
1: All right, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Brian Westbrook and Kevin were great. We will be back next week with a week's worth of training camp anecdotes for you, the stuff we're seeing, the stuff we're hearing, and uh, I couldn't be more excited about it. So thank you for listening again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.